Hey, good morning, and welcome once again to Trinity. So glad to have you worshiping with us this morning. I want to say a special welcome to all of our church family worshiping with us online. We're glad to have you there wherever you are this morning. Um, this morning, we have a guest preacher. Um, Damien has come to us from the west side. Some of you guys already know Damien. He's been hanging with us for a couple of weeks here. Uh, he's been serving at the west side for a year and a half. He's a pastoral resident uh, there, and he wears many hats. And um, I get the joy of having an office kind of right across from him, right across the hall. So I get to see him often when I'm there in my office. And it's always a joy to see his smiling face. And I'm happy to receive the word that the Lord's put on your heart this morning. Damon, you want to come? Good morning. Man, that's, that was so good all together at the same time. When's the last time you prepared somebody for a piece of news? Why don't you think about that for a second? When's the last time you had a piece of news that you knew you needed to prepare someone for, to hear? Like you knew it was the type of news that like you couldn't just say, like in the middle of the grocery store, Publix or something. You know, it was like the type of news that you want to make sure that you had all of their attention, that they were ready to receive whatever you were about to say and respond properly, right? Has anyone ever shared good news and then somebody was like, hey, cool? And you're like, oh, you didn't hear me, right? Because there's something about particular news that needs a bit of preparation. Things maybe like um, wives, when you find out that you're pregnant, maybe your husband isn't there, and so you want to like share the news, right? Husbands, you might know what that feels like when your wife said, hey, we need to talk. And you're like, why do you say those words? Those are never good news words. But maybe it's uh, husbands and wives. I know there's a lot of babies uh, that fill this room up at the end of service. And I know that there's probably moments where you thought about telling your parents or your friends that you guys were having a baby. Or for some of you, it's about getting a dream job. You finally got the job and you want to tell the friends or the family that have been waiting with you. Or for some of you, it, it was a big move. Or for some of you, it's introducing a significant other right? You don't, want them, you don't want that to happen like by accident. Like, by the way, hey, this just happens to be my significant other. No, you want them to be ready. You know what I mean, right? I had a friend in college. His name was Justin. And uh, he taught me a lot about preparing people for some news. He uh, grew up going to IHOP, not the International House of Pancakes, but the International House of Prayer, all right? And if you know anything about IHOP, they know how to pray, all right, they, pay, they pray for 24 hours, and they just switch people out, and they're like, hey, we're just going to keep going. We're going to ask God to do stuff. And so he was my roommate my freshman year of college, and over a, a period of time, what would happen is uh, we would have a party at the house. People would be hanging out. There'd be like 30 people in our, in our main dorm area, uh, and then I'd look around, and I'd be like, where is Justin? So I'd look, I'd look around, and then I'd go to the dorm, and I'd just see him, just it's honest, hands and knees in the room, praying, crying, tears out of his face. And I'm like, bro, there's a party here. You know, like we're hanging out. We could pray after when they leave. And he would put me in these positions all the time because I would see the burden that would be on his shoulders. We'd, we'd be sometimes at dinner, and I, and I would see him. All of a sudden, he just kind of checks out. Just kind of his, his legs moving a little bit. I'm like, bro, you have a word right now? And he'd be like, yeah, I do. I have a word. 
but he would be so aware of how awkward this gets. You guys know what I mean? Like, how awkward it is to be just in a fun party or a fun dinner, and then all of a sudden you're like, I have some things I want to tell you that I believe God is telling you, and it's this whole thing. So I would see him get nervous, and this is what would happen. I would say, hey, you need me to be your John the Baptist? I can prepare the way for you. And, and, and over a season of time, that's just what we would do. I would see him, I would say, hey, man, can I prepare the way for you? He'd be like, yeah, I guess, sure. So I would snap, I'd be like, hey, guys, hey, I know uh, most of us are probably Christians here, and I just want to, like, we really believe in prayer, and we really believe in the Spirit of God, and I, I know that this might be a bit of, like, out of the rhythm of what we're doing, but can we just take a couple minutes to listen to what Justin might have to say? And all of a sudden, people would just... Begin to listen, their ears begin to perk up, people would begin to prepare themselves for the things that Justin would have to say, and sometimes it was incredibly deep, and sometimes they're like, bro, you prayed for like 45 minutes, and we were good like 10 minutes in, you know? But I got into this rhythm in college where I would begin to ask him, can I be your John the Baptist? Can I prepare the way for you? And this morning, uh, we're sitting with John the Baptist in the Luke 3 passage that was just read, and John the Baptist has some words for us, but if we are not ready, if we're not leaning in, then we might not be ready to receive these words. And so will you join me in leaning in? Um, God, would you meet us? Would you speak to us? Would you speak through your servant, John? And would you use his words to teach us and teach our hearts how to prepare in the midst of Advent, in the midst of your coming. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Repentance is both the fertile soil and the Repentance is both the fertile soil and the fruit of the kingdom, and that's what we're talking about this morning. And the question that I'll answer for us in our time together is what does repentance have to do with our Advent preparation? The the word today, even the candle that we lit was joy. And I don't know about you, but when I hear repentance, that's not the first word that comes to mind. But John has some words, and John knows that the kingdom is coming, and John knows that the king is coming, and John does not ask us if we're ready. He tells us to prepare. And so how does he tell us to prepare? Well, in verse 8, he says, to bear fruits worthy of repentance. And what does repentance have to do with our preparation? How is it both the fruit and the soil? The first thing we need to consider is what we mean when we say repentance. So most of us, when we think about repentance, we're thinking about saying, I'm sorry. At least that's the first thing we teach our kids, all right? It's like if we're going to teach our kids how to repent, the first thing we're going to teach them is say, I'm sorry. Well, I I worked for Peace Prep. They're one of Trinity's partners, and I worked with kindergartners, uh, so like pre-K, so like four years old all the way up to about 10 years old. And trust me, the first thing we teach them is to say, I'm sorry. But if you know anything about I'm sorry is that I'm sorry usually doesn't cut it. Because once they learn the words I'm sorry, usually they learn how to detach those words from the meaning, right? All right, I'm sorry. Can I go? And I wonder how, much, how many of us are like that towards God, right? We think about repentance, and we come to church, and we're like, oh, this is the I'm sorry. Can I go? 
right? But it, it can't just stop it. I'm sorry. Also, uh, another thing that comes to mind, the next thing when we think about repentance is stopping a particular action. Hey, 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 stop, stop hitting your brother, right? Hey, stop doing that. That's not the good way. Or even your internal voice, I know I shouldn't be doing this. And so when it comes to moments of repentance, that's what we think. We think, I'm sorry, I'll stop doing that, right? I'm sorry, and I stopped doing that. And I want to say that repentance includes those things, but we would miss the point if we thought that was the whole. When considering John's imagination, when thinking about repentance, John is not just bringing up a new word, like, hey, look, a new word, repentance. No, he's attaching this. Um, he's placing these words that he's speaking to the crowd, to the tax collector, and to the soldier. And he's connecting it to a larger story around this call towards repentance God is continually throughout the scriptures of the Torah, through the Hebrew scriptures, calling his people towards repentance. And that word repent in the Hebrew is shovah. And that word actually means to return. You see, when um, there's a lot of images in our minds when we think about repentance. One of them is to turn. Or even a better, I I would say a better word is to U-turn. Right? So we're going some way, we're going this direction, and now all of a sudden when we think about repentance, we want to think about a U-turn, and we want to turn away. The problem is, is that we're usually pretty good at making U-turns. Right? And we end up right back where we were. We're pretty good at making U-turns. So it's part of it, but it's not the whole. When we think about repentance, we can't just think about a U-turn because then we don't know where we're going. We just know we're going another way. When we think about repentance, we need to think about this word, shovah, which means to return. It actually gives us a destination to come back to. When we think about return, we must think about returning back to Genesis 1, when God creates and he declares all things good. And when he declares them good and he creates them in shalom and he creates us in our design. And he declares what is most true about us, that we bear God's image, that we belong to God, that we belong to each other. When we return to this, it gives us a destination in our repentance. It's not just, I'm sorry. It's not just, stop doing that. It's actually, hey, I actually wanted you to come over here. Returning back to where you realize and remember the true words that God is speaking over you, the things that are actually most true about you? And I think that's an interesting question. What is the, most, what is the thing that's most true about you? So I want to do something that might feel a bit awkward. I want you to close your eyes for a moment, if you feel comfortable. And as you close your eyes, I'm going to ask you a question, and then I'm going to create room for silence for you to contemplate the answer to this question. And while you keep your eyes closed after those few moments, I'm going to speak a few things over you. But the question I want you to consider is what is most true about you? What is most true about you?
there are a lot of things that could come to mind. But if I could speak these things over you, I would tell you that the, what is most true about you is that you are made in the image of God. That God loves you. God calls you good. Not because of what you do, but because ultimately this is what God declares to be most true about you. You can open up your eyes. I think sometimes we can get so caught up in what we think is most true about us. Like the thing that's most true about me is that I'm angry. Or the thing that's most true about me is that um, I'm still trying. Fill in the blank. I'm still trying to get there, to complete that, to be good enough. Maybe you think the most true thing about you is that you are on your way, on your way towards something good. Maybe you just haven't arrived. There could be so many other things that we hold and we place over ourselves as the thing that's most true about us. But if repentance is going to do anything for us, it's going to provide us a place to return to to remember, to remember what's most true about us and then reorient ourselves around what God says is true about us. When we repent, when we return, it's the place in which then we'll be ready to receive our king. Because that's John's whole point, right? John's whole point, his whole concern is that he wants us to prepare for the coming king. He says, how do you prepare? Repent. How do you prepare? Return. I want you to return back to the true words God is speaking over you. That is how you prepare for his coming. Because if you can come back to the true words that God is speaking over you, when God is ready to speak more words to you, you are in a posture and place where you are already believing the true words that God is speaking over you. And then you're able to step into the things that God is putting on your heart. So, if repentance is our preparation, then I can't help but understanding repentance as the fertile soil of the kingdom. Right? Preparation is getting the ground ready to plant the seed. The ground must be ready to cultivate the type of environment for the seed to grow. And John says that our preparation to get our ground ready is repentance, is return. Is that making sense? But not only is repentance the fertile soil of the kingdom, John also calls it our fruit. There are three groups of people in this passage asking John this question, right? The crowd, the tax collector, and the soldiers, they've come to get baptized by John. And John starts off by saying they're children of snakes, you brood of vipers, which I think is a fascinating way to greet people, right? <laughs> hey, guys, welcome to church. You, church, you brood of vipers, you know? It's like, oh, bro, you could be a bit nicer. But the point of what he's doing when he, when he calls them children of snakes, he says, I know where you come from. I know where you've been. No one's fooled by the fact that you're here. And, and I think some of you might feel a similar way. You're at church. Someone brought you to church. Someone convinced you to come to church. And maybe you finally convinced yourself to come to church. But somewhere in your mind, there's this narrative about you and about if people really knew your reputation, they would wonder, they would be like, you came to church. Interesting. 
And sometimes the most judgmental voice is ours. But I just want you to know you're in good company. Because John is standing in, a, in, in the midst of a crowd with tax collectors and soldiers. And, and if you don't know this, the crowd doesn't sound that great. The tax collectors extort people, and so do the soldiers. These, this is not good company. They're not the crowd that everybody's looking at, like, look at all the holy people of God. This is the mess of a crowd. And I just want you to know that if you feel like there's something about your reputation or where you've been that disqualifies you, you find yourself in good company. The good news for both you and the people in this story is that we have an opportunity, an opportunity for return, an opportunity for repentance. They all ask the same question, the tax collector, the crowd, the tax collector, and the soldier. What then should we do? What then should we do? The crowd asks it, and, he's, and John replies, whoever has two coats must share with anyone who has none, and whoever has food must do likewise. The tax collectors ask it, and he says, collect no more than the amount prescribed to you. The soldiers ask, and he says, do not extort money from anyone by threats or false accusations and be satisfied with your wages. At some point, your preparation of repentance will become a fruit of repentance because when you tend to the soil... The fruit will come. When you tend to your soil, your fruit will come. And so if we're looking, if we're asking the question, John, what should we do? Lord, what should we do? How how should my life, what should my life produce? The first thing John says is, well, the first, we, we should take care of the ground. Let's prepare the soil. But then he also says this fruit of repentance. So once we've prepared the soil, what is happening actually in our hearts? Why is this a fruit? It's because John's answer to all of their questions, the same question, is still the same. Repent. Return. The instruction to the crowd is not about their coats or their food. It is about their love. John's instruction to the tax collector is not about their ability or inability to control their financial greed. It is about their love. John's instruction to the soldier is not just about bad practices as representatives of the government. It is about their love. And so for us, as we come to John with the same questions, as we come to Christ with the same questions, what then should we do? The answer is not about your stuff what you have or don't have. The answer is not about your posture towards work and your good or bad habits. The answer is not about your authority, your work ethic, or even what you do with your finances. And let me be clear, it might include any one of these things. But it's not the point. Because ultimately, John's answer is still to return. I want you to hear these words again. John says to the crowd, whoever has two coats must share with anyone who has none, and whoever has food must do likewise. Of course this is what love requires. Of course. How would I know that? Because I'm practicing return. And when I return back, when I repent, when I come back to the true story about me and my neighbor, how could I have two coats when you have none? How could I have food and a full belly and leftovers that I'm going to throw away when I see you without any? You bear the image of God. Christ says, if you do anything to the least of these, you've done unto me. How 
Could I? Of course this is what love requires. To the tax collector, he says, collect no more than the amount prescribed for you. Of course. Of course it makes sense not to use my power and my position to leverage myself over my neighbor. We are equal. If anything, the true story about us is that I should be reminding you of your worth, not taking it from you. To the soldier, he says, do not extort money from anyone by threats or false accusations and be satisfied with your wages. Of course, this is what love requires. How could I use threats and false accusations against my neighbor who bears the image of my Savior? How could I? How could I greed and, 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 and bring together more than what I need when I know my neighbor goes without? How could I, when I've been practicing return, when I've been practicing repentance, And it's through this return, it's through this preparation of this fertile soil that at the same time when we begin to practice this type of return and repentance, we find that it's actually the thing that begins to transform us. We find that it's actually the thing that begins to produce fruit in our lives, fruit of more repentance because we see what happens when we return. Repentance is both the fertile soil and the fruit of the kingdom. May this Christmas season, may repentance become our our fertile soil and our fruit. May we prepare for Christ's coming by returning and being transformed through this returning, through our repenting. And in light of all this, repentance does not, let me just say this, repentance does not have to be wrapped up in your shame or your guilt. If repentance is about return, it actually now can be wrapped up in our joy. It can be wrapped up in our joy because repentance is not about your demise. Repentance is about your return. So as we consider these things, um, I'm going to pray and I'm going to give us a moment of silence. With the same question that the crowd, the tax collector and the soldier asked, what then should we do? As we practice return, even in these moments, might we be open to God's spirit asking us, what does love require? God, thank you so much. That this repentance, even this warning is for the sake of us joining you. God, you desire us. You love us. You made us in our in your image. And God, would we honor that by returning back to the true story you tell about us? God, so we sit with this question. Holy Spirit, would you speak to us? What does your love require?